All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Art and Science of Complex Sales. I am here with author, friend, sales consultant, owner and operator of Helix Sales Development, Mr. Walter Crosby. Thank you so much for joining me. Wow, Mr. Walter Crosby. Mr. That's big. Um, putting a lot of pressure on you, Paul. <laughs> As I should. So I should. You do a better job of introducing yourself than I would do, though. So do you mind uh, sharing a little bit about your background? I wouldn't be so sure about that, but I'll give it a whirl. CEO, uh, owner of Helix Sales Development. We help CEOs and senior executives solve their problems with their sales organization, help them get to be a high-performance organization. Usually there's problems with culture or salespeople or sales management. Sometimes their systems and processes are going the wrong direction. Often they hire badly from any of the sales seats. So those are typically areas where we can add value. I just looked around and I'm looking for it. I have the copy right here. You just wrote a book on that subject, didn't you? Yeah, seven critical mistakes that uh, CEOs typically make with their sales organization that stop them from scaling. That, that might be the title. <laughs> it might be. It's possible. Check it out on Amazon. It's uh, on Amazon. For your listeners, if um, if somebody shoots us an email or reaches out on LinkedIn and mentions your podcast, and gives us their mailing address, we'll send them a copy for free. Oh, that's amazing. And, and you got it right behind you, by the way. Yes. It's a great read. I I uh, actually just finished it last night. It's a great read. It's a quick read. And it is, I'd say it's power packed with usable advice. <laughs> Doesn't dive into the flowery, nor should it. It's, it is just, I mean, you, you seem to just rip things apart and lay it out on a platter for people. Uh, well, I had a client uh, went to lunch last week and he said, you know, I read your book. Why'd you read my book? Because well, you sent it to me, so I thought I should read it. And he said, I plan on reading it again. But what what he said I thought was I achieved achieved the goal of the book. Because he said, You wrote it for a CEO. So you got to the point, you identified the problem, you identified what needs to be done to do it, and you kind of gave us the the steps to get that done. And he said, You're Often a book will be 250 pages when it really could have been 125. And uh, he said there was not a lot of extra words in there. So um, and so that makes me feel good that I actually accomplished what I was trying to accomplish. You just give them the facts and let them go after it. And I, I said it was a quick read. That doesn't mean it's a, a not an impactful read, right? Walter didn't know I was going to going to come on and even mention his book but uh it's a plug in the fact that i truly enjoyed it and it's 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 all actionable items that you can take to improve not just your organization but your your sales team i do want to dive into those specifically a little bit maybe give a teaser on what some of those things are but we talk about the art and science of complex sales right we are in this we're in this podcast we're in this profession to drive sales and to drive company growth People define that term a little bit differently in terms of sales. What do you define sales as? I boil it down to, I mean, we can describe it lots of different ways, but I think it's about if you're doing it well and you're doing it correctly, you're trying to help somebody. And that, and there's usually an exchange of some sort of monetary 
situation, right? Where we're, we exchange dollars or Konas or whatever the particular uh, value is. But it's, it should be about helping somebody to get someplace where they need to go. And sometimes they don't necessarily understand that they have a problem. And if we can help them see that there's a bigger problem or a problem that they didn't notice, that's really what I think is helping. It's about moving the needle. You know, when you're talking to a salesperson from a management capacity, we're trying to get them to upskill and elevate their game so that they can grow revenue for the company and for themselves. But if we approach it from that, we're trying to help somebody, I think we we get to where we need to go. Sort of like living life with the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. And that's not good enough at the end of the day, then I don't know what you could have done. I follow you on on LinkedIn and we, we comment back and forth and have a have a lot of fun with that. One of the things I notice about about a lot of your your posts and where you take them in terms of that is you focus heavily on things like accountability, defining uh, process, how how you help people, but not just you're helping people, but you're helping the individual salespeople with things like accountability, clear metrics, clear goals. How is that a part of sales? Well, the really good salespeople that top five or six percent, they're they're holding themselves accountable. They don't mind accountability. And what we're trying to do is help other people that are less than less skilled in that elevate their game. So to me, that's that's help not accepting mediocrity within a sales organization, right? It's the fastest way to lose your best performers. If they see you tolerating people that just don't put the effort in and don't put the time in, they may not do a good job and they may not hit their numbers, but if they're at least putting the effort in, those top performers are more inclined to be helpful to them and and be respectful. But if somebody's allowed to just collect a paycheck, to be part of something when they're really not participating, I think that's where accountability comes in. And it starts at the top. The CEO or the senior salesperson needs to, sales executive needs to define that. And if we're going to be accountable, uh, we should be talking about accountability in the interview. When we interview candidates for an organization, one of the things that we talk about as we get later in the process is so here's how we do accountability at client X. We put it on the table and talk about it. It's, you know, we're defining goals that are going to be motivational to the individual, and we're defining what that means for the organization. Those should coalesce and support each other, be motivational to everybody. And it's the sales manager's job to help them get there. But at the same time, the company has responsibilities to the salespeople as well. They have to help them understand who their targets are and understand how to message things properly. That's really part of what a company needs to do. They assume that the salespeople know how to do all that and they're wrong. Really interesting thoughts here that I, I, I want to kind of see if I can tie together because it sounds like you're defining sales as you define sales almost as missional. It is the consistent pursuit. What I hear you say, it's the consistent pursuit of excellence in helping people, right? It's helping people get what they need and being able to you define sometimes they don't need it or don't know they need it, 
So it is the, it's also the consistent pursuit of excellence and being able to uncover problems and challenge people. So I, I think, I think, am that's I right? True. Yes, but I would add something to that. Sometimes people want something that isn't what they need. So I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, I was in sign business mm-hmm. and I had a guy at Yellow Pages ad. That's how long ago it was. So the guy called me up and said, Hey, I need you to come by and look at this thing I want to do. So he told me that he wanted to do this big, huge sign on the side of his building. It was probably going to cost him $15,000, $20,000. And I told him that. I said, but I'm going to have to charge you 30. And he looked at me like, what? What are you talking about? You just told me it should be 15. So yeah, but it's not going to work and you're going to hate it. So you're not going to ever tell anybody about me and you're never going to be happy. So I got to charge you twice as much to make some, make some real money here. And I said, what you really should do is go over here. And we walk to the other side of the building. If you see all these cars going by, 40,000 cars go by every day. This is where you should put a sign. This is where people will see you. This is where you'll get the biggest bang for your dollar. He's like, oh, well, what's that going to cost? Seven, eight thousand dollars. And he he was like, what? You you just talked yourself out of money. I said, no, I just talked myself into a customer who's going to be a big fan. And we did a deal, and he was just that. He must have been five or six different business owners in that area. He told them to call me because of what I did. I didn't need to be a smartass at the beginning of that, but that's just me. But he wanted something that wasn't going to work. And if I had sold him that, transactionally, I win. But relationship-wise, doing the right thing-wise, ethics-wise, it was the wrong thing to do. So sometimes you give them what they don't necessarily know what they want. Sometimes they want something that's completely wrong. And either way, we got to help them. I've defined it. It's taken me a long time to come to this. And listeners of this probably have heard this before. So just tune out for the next 20 seconds if you have. But I've defined it as sales as leadership, service, and wayfinding. And leadership is helping somebody achieve a vision, right? That they want to, that they want to or need to achieve for themselves, their family, their community. Service is helping them get what they need, right? Not necessarily what they want. And wayfinding is being able to uncover the path to do that well and do that collectively. So what you just described there is like leadership takes courage, right? It takes absolute courage. And it takes it takes the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to do something that doesn't make sense, right? right. And it gets, goes back to the idea of this being missional, right? It, it is. There's a there's an ethical, missional, emotional, like component of sales. The best people that I've noticed embrace that fully instead of shying away from it and saying, well, I just need to hit a number. How do you make that connection work? Well, how do I describe it? I don't see it as courageous because I just see it as the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's how I was raised. Uh, Maybe it was just how I, I learned how to think from parents. But you do the right thing. Sometimes, you know, you benefit and sometimes you don't. But I just, I don't believe that thinking transactionally in sales is ever a solid, long-term right thing to do. And I'm not saying I've never done it, 
when I was younger, it, it, it seemed appropriate, but it, you know, it never felt good. It never smelled good. So it just, I think it's, that's why he goes back to being helpful. Your, your idea of, of it being mission driven. Okay. I can agree with that. And I can see how that is just about being focused on helping people. And I think the courageous part is realizing that you're not for everybody as an individual, right? I know I'm not, my approach isn't for everybody. I have a tendency to be very straightforward. I can use blunt language. I, I just kind of call it as it is. And sometimes that is a little uh, disconcerting for folks. I'm a New Yorker at heart, I think, but it's still about doing the right thing for the people. And if that's your intent, it's it's like how we raised our daughter. You do their treat people the way you want to be treated. If you do that consistently, life will turn out well. There's a there's a uh, we've both used this test, the objective management test. But there's something on there that I I really love, and it's something that so many people in sales really struggle with. And if you could give, yeah, uh, and that's called the need to be liked, right? <laughs> and Give a listener, like, how do you coach people against that? How do you coach people about this need for need for approval? Because if <laughs> I uh, interviewed so many salespeople and a lot of them say, oh, I, I want to go into sales because and so many new salespeople want to go into sales because I'm a people person. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, okay. You like people. Uh, give, give me six months and you won't, you know. Um, yeah, but, three weeks uh, of phone calling that'll solve that problem real fast. Yeah, exactly. We're not, we're not looking for approval in this business. Um, so how how do you coach to that? Like, how do you help someone get over that? Sometimes you can't, but it starts with explaining to them that we all need to be liked as a human. It's important that our family and our friends like us because we're we're wired up that way. Because if we weren't part of a tribe or we weren't part of a group, we're going to be stuck out there with some saber-toothed tigers or whatever was out there to get us. So it's it's recognizing that that's okay. It's just in the one role. Your role as a salesperson, that need to be liked, and in many cases, that need to be loved, is going to cause you difficulty in the role. So we make them aware of it. We make them understand that it's just in this one role. If you're, you know, you're being a dad or a brother or sister or a mom, right? We want to be like those are that's different. But our role as a salesperson, that gets in the way. So recognize that. Two, let's understand that how it's going to manifest. And it, we start to describe what that looks like. And you can't ask people tough questions. Somebody says something as a prospect says something just dumb and you can't challenge them and you couldn't even say, hey, can I push back on that idea a little bit, right? And then offer up another way to look at it. You know, that sign on this side of the building, really dumb, should put it over here because that's where all the eyeballs are when they drive by your building. That would be hard for somebody that has a, a need to be liked. The way it's measured in objective management group if you're 100% don't need to be liked, you have no need to be liked, right? So mine's like 98%. Like I don't really care. 
it's not something I'm I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you make them aware of the differences in the role. You make them aware that this is something that they see. You get them to connect that and say, yeah, I do that. Okay. So here's what it sounds like in your sales role. And here's how we have to stop thinking like that and start to change. It's one of those situations when we're looking at somebody's sales DNA, they have to want to make that change. They have to want to put that effort in. We can be coaching them and helping them identify it. And if they don't want to do that and they don't connect that with success, they're not going to change. There's ways that you can do it with NLP and hypnosis type stuff to get people to recognize it. Um, and, And those things will work. If, if the person is willing to accept the fact that they need to change. But if they don't want to change, they're not going to change. And it takes time. I had a, a, a young woman who I've been working with for over three years now. And her, uh, not her, the way it's phrased is negative, right? I don't need to be like, she was two, a 2%, right? And 100% is like, they don't need to be like, but she was a two, which was only, I've only seen one zero in my career. So she has grown over the last few years. And when she reassessed, she was at a 81%. She'd grown that much. And it was, was, you know, coaching is part of it, but she did the heavy lifting. She did the work. Um, And it was something that she she realized, if I don't change this, I'm never going to be able to talk to people about money and talk to people about their ideas are flawed or that there might be a better way of looking at that. So it takes work. It's not any, there's, there's no magic bullet. I, I think it's such, I mean, even just from a personal, both personal and professional development, it's such important work that you dive in and can dive in there on that. It's just training on how to be, how to stand up right? It's a big deal and stand up in a situation and how to value, you know, you have a ton of value, Walter. I have a ton of value in terms of what we bring to the table, right? So do all the reps we work with, but how to help them value what they bring to the table to a point that they're, you don't, they can't be arrogant. There's a rep should not be arrogant. A rep should always be helpful, but a rep needs to understand that, they are confident in what they bring to the table, right? Even if they don't have every single answer correct, right? Because you're still bringing value and asking the questions, finding detail for, for you. So that that's, that is such awesome work. Tell me a little bit about, there is one question I have for you, like in terms of getting into sales, and I, I'm taking a left turn here, but it kind of connects. Uh, and it connects in a way that I'm I'm really interested in how, how you got into sales and then how you started to to develop your particular style and understand, you know, okay, I can stand up. I can do the right thing. I can, I can do this in a way that's consistent. Right. So how did that start? Well, I got into sales the same way that most people do, uh, or at least most people from my generation, what's the lowest bar of entry to get into a job. Um, I graduated from a, a fine institution and with an economics degree, and that qualifies you to go to grad school. Um, 
I had no interest in going to grad school. So, you know, I'm sitting with somebody older than me, twice as my age, who was trying to help me. Like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. I really don't. Well, have you ever thought about sales? No. What does that mean? And next thing I know, I'm in an interview with an international commercial real estate company. I'm ushered into the managing director's office for, a, say, a 10 o'clock meeting. And he turns around from his desk, looks at his phone, points at his couch, and tells me to sit down. And then he turns around and continues to have the conversation that he's having for 20 minutes with his girlfriend. I won't get into the details, but then, uh, you know, I stood up on my desk and I, uh, from the couch, knocked on his desk and he turned around and I was like, you know, it was nice chatting with you. Uh, obviously, I caught you at a bad time. I'll see you. And I started to walk out of his office and he, he's, so honey, I got to go. I got an asshole in my office and he hung up his phone and he's like, who do you think you are? It's like, I'm the guy that had a 10 o'clock appointment with you. So what, what should we do? Now, it wasn't planned. It wasn't some technique. It was literally who I was. So he took a meeting with me because of a friend of his asked him to talk to some snot-nosed kid from the Midwest. He was 23 years old from Michigan and in the Midtown, New York City. So he's like, sit down. Why? He's like, because I, I want to talk to you, right? And then he started going through my resume. And he's like, You're, you, you went to Michigan. Yeah. You weren't in a fraternity. No. Well, you know, I went to Kentucky. And if you weren't in a fraternity, you didn't have a social life. Uh, like, I guess we uh, went to different kinds of schools because GDIs could be uh, more social than anybody else. And we didn't have to follow a bunch of knuckles. Right. I just, we just argued about everything for 20 minutes. And he offered me a job right there because. I pushed back on everything that he said. And if I was going to talk to the guy that was offering me a job, like that, I'd probably be willing to go out and have tough conversations with a bunch of people. And I was probably tough enough to get on the phone and go do what I needed to do. So he offered me a job. So I think at that point, I sort of learned that you got to go get what you want and you got to stand up for yourself. The need to be liked was not part of it. Uh, the need to be respected was. Mm -hmm. I probably could have been a little bit more respectful of him, but I don't know that it would have been, it would have been had the same result. But the gentleman who helped me get that interview, he calls me up when I got home and he's like, what the hell did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. Sorry. I did this. And he's like, he's like, he's going to offer you a job. I say, no, he already did. He already told me he was going to offer me a job. I'm not sure I'm going to take it, but he's like, you're going to take it. Right. <laughs> That's how it started. So having some confidence. And even when you don't know the answers, it's okay to say, you know, I'm not really sure. Why is that important? Mm -hmm. And, or that's interesting. Why is that important? And it doesn't matter if you just keep them talking and asking questions that make them think a little bit differently. And then you really start to understand what their real question is and what their real concerns are. That is what drives. So Curiosity, skepticism, and a little bit of um, empathy gets you a long way in, in in having a conversation with a prospect. If you're if you're trying to help, that's one of the best interview stories I've ever heard. By the way, that's, that's I don't fantastic. recommend it. I don't <laughs> recommend it, especially when you're you know, oh, twenty three years old. I mean, I was literally in the corner office, 
And 51st and Lex, you know, looking down the street, it was beautiful office. And he was an asshole, but that was part of his job. Yeah. Oh God, that's funny. Well, you, you hit on something. I wish I could train that in like you help do that, but it's, you gotta be able to, what I love about what you said there at the end was you, you gotta be able to just say, well, no, I don't know, but help me understand. Right. Or help me learn more. Or why is that important? And I've found some of the, some of the most interesting things in sales and essentially in having executive conversations is you realize that the other person across the table doesn't necessarily have any freaking clue about really what they're trying to do or how they're going to do it. And just being able to to ask those additional questions and being able to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm at a spot too, that I think I might be able to help you, but you have to convince me as <laughs> just as much as me or you. So it's how do we, and it's negotiating that just for the simple questions. Tell me more. Why is it important? How, how does it impact you? I mean, that, that starts to become an executive level conversation instead of a, a pitch. Oh yeah. And, Pitching is uh, that, that should have died in the fifties. There's a time for a pitch that works. I think is when you're, when you're asking venture capital or private equity for money, then you better be able to pitch an idea, but you better be able to do that in 90 seconds, right? You know that really big problem that the whole world has? Well, we solved it. And here's what it looks like, right? I mean, if you can't get to that in front of those people and your pitch isn't that good, then you better not be pitching. Yep. So let's uh, let's wrap up. What do we got? Um, sorry, we'll probably need to cut some of this. Walter, because I, I just forgot completely where I was going. <laughs> That's why actually we, we should keep we should keep that in because uh, it, it makes it makes this actually be real. It's vulnerable. Um, you're vulnerable when you're vulnerable and, and you're being real. People can learn to trust you faster. I think. I I hope so. I I but so to be vulnerable, right? On this, I am not a podcast <laughs> expert. I I what I love doing. As I love having good conversations with great salespeople. Like I just think that's I think it's fascinating and I absolutely love it. But in terms of the the podcast world, I've read a couple of books. You actually were you actually uh contributed to one of them. I'm the sure Podmatch that, book? Yeah. The Podmatch. Yeah. Yeah. Alex's book, who who's the co-founder of Podmatch. So the guy that helped him write that and the guy that helped me write my book. Mm-hmm. If you if you put those two books next to each other, same size, yeah, about the same length, they look very similar on the inside. The idea behind Mike's process is to write a shook. This is his that's his language, that's his IP. Okay. But it's a short, helpful book. So Alex's book, Podmatch Host Mastery and Guest Mastery, mm-hmm. he basically just asked people that are members of Podmatch that are using the service to explain why they use the service and how they use it. It's brilliant because he wrote like a chapter and then he had 15 chapters of stuff. The concept yeah. for him. So it's a really good platform. It's a, it's a really good book to start to get some insights and ideas from both the guest side and the, um, um, the host side. And, uh, but I think you're, you're a, a premise of having interesting conversations with 
interesting people in in the space where you're you are with the people that are listening to your audience is a big part of it. I mean, I had two things that I was doing when I started my podcast. It was like I wanted to have fun, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to be able to help elevate the sales profession by bringing people on that you know could add something smart to the conversation. And even if there's like four minutes of smartness in a in in an episode. And and we share something that's actionable. Uh, I think we're we're doing something for the for the community at large. And you know, we just sometimes you nail it, sometimes you don't. I'm going to share one thing that's that's very actionable for the community. And this is again not planned, but I am going to pitch your book because it really it's really helpful. It is a the shook. It it it's awesome. It's a like I said, it's a quick read. And if you listen and you contact Walter. You get it for free, which is uh, also a a great great way to do it. So you want to get seven great tips to help you, uh, seven critical mistakes to avoid. It would be a good one to to go after. Thank let's you. close. Let's uh, let's close it out. Do you have any uh, people getting in contact with you? What are the best ways for people to get in contact with Walter and or Helix? Uh, you know, the easiest thing is LinkedIn. You know, look up Walter Crosby if you. Go to all all kind of like waltercrosby.com, helixsalesdevelopment.com. They all come to me. Um, my contact info is there. Probably the easiest way to find me. But if they mention the podcast or mention you or mention Membrane, that's all they have to do. And we'll send them, send them a book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for spending the time with me. I truly, truly appreciate it. And uh, so will all the listeners. So with that, we're going to sign off from uh, the art and science of complex sales and everybody just have an absolutely amazing day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.